Before we get into the podcast, here's a quick message from our sponsor. Being involved in Bitcoin means you value freedom, financial freedom, freedom to save, and freedom to spend. Privacy, digital security, and no internet tracking logs are critical in the information age today. NordVPN is my favorite VPN service. It's fast, secure, and offers 5,500 secure servers in 59 countries. You can connect to any one of them and enjoy your favorite content no matter where you are. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. The best part about this sponsorship, there's literally no risk with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never even happened. Check out our link, nordvpn.com blockware, to get your subscription started today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. This week, I have on Adam O from Upstream Data. Hey, Adam. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Glad to be here. It's uh, it's always fun to sit down and talk some energy, talk some Bitcoin mining. Absolutely. So, as a Bitcoin miner, you know I'm sure you've noticed that mining difficulty just made a new all-time high. Bitcoin price is is well off its all-time high, and because of these two factors, hash price and, and miner margins are are being very compressed. How are you thinking about the mining industry right now with with margins this tight? Well, I mean. This is kind of the same old song and dance, right? There's with Bitcoin, there's this constant dance between difficulty uh, or competition, right? It's another word for it, but difficulty and then price. Um, no matter what, every four years, difficulty doubles, right? Um, in the sense that the reward halves. Um, and so, by the you know, effectively the same function. And so, what you can count on is diminishing hash value, which is right the, the value of a of a single terahash over the course of a day, but denominated in Bitcoin. So that's always pretty much going to be going down. Um, even when competition lightens up, that's only temporary because inevitably a halving will come. But when it comes to hash price, dollar denominated, that's that's an interesting metric, right? Because it's it seems to have, you know, gone no lower than what, about seven cents over the last five years six years um and i'm not sure it was ever it was much below that before then because a terra hash was so much back in 2014 2013 so um you know i think what we're finding is that the same song and dance of you know we, we got up to what 40 cent hash price where a single new gen bitcoin miner was making over ten thousand dollars on a year on a yearly basis um and now we're down to eight cent, eight and a half cent hash price right now. Uh, this is this is the tightening. This is when those who have uneconomic energy uh, or unreliable energy, their or power, I guess, would be the better way to say it. They're they're hurting right now. Or somebody, you know, those who I was just on a phone call talking about it. Those who maybe overzealously capitalized back when Bitcoin, back when hash price was twenty cents, um, and you know they they paid too much for for the hardware, they didn't get it installed quick enough. And now they have monthly bills that didn't line up to with what they projected early on. So, you know, these are the, a lot of pain in the streets, a lot of conviction being tested, but you know, this is part of the fun. Yeah, absolutely. I know I, I always 
I follow like uh, Charles Edwards. He has that metric called like the hash ribbons, and it kind of showed that we had this quote unquote minor capitulation. While it wasn't you know anything super crazy like China mining ban or past halvings maybe, but um, we definitely did see like hash rate come off the network. Do you think we've seen like the worst of that, or do you think there could be another wave of minor capitulation this year or next? The worst of it. I mean that's. Minor capitulation is the best thing ever as a miner, right? I mean, you, nothing more you love than waking up and watch, you know, finding out that some of your competition just fell off. Um, I think I, I I always blindly celebrate every every downward difficulty adjustment is a reason to pop a bottle of champagne and you know, count your lucky stars, be grateful, uh, because there, we're not going to get many of them. Um, not at least in the first million and a half blocks of Bitcoin, right? I mean, I've said it many times where the first decade of Bitcoin was defined by hardware, defined by having the latest and greatest, you know, most efficient chips, where it didn't matter, even if you had free energy, like like free power, if you didn't upgrade your, your ASICs, you were still, you like couldn't mine, right? So, that was the power was hardly a part of the equation for the first decade of Bitcoin, or you know, at least the majority of it. The second decade of Bitcoin is going to be all about harnessing the most marginally economic power sources and waste energy, you know, stranded liability energy dense production. Um, you know, whether that's biomass or even ethanol from CBD refining processes, that there's an absolute land grab, right? A, a a race westward to find and secure economic power on the margin because it'll it'll give you access to a really a bitcoin at the on a discount right you'll you'll be able to over time purchase bitcoin for for less than what it costs on an exchange and that's i think it's like the lowest time preference or or hash rate is probably the most precise measure of Bitcoin demand, right? Where it's it's really easy for somebody to go out and, you know, purchase 50 cents worth of Bitcoin on, on strike or whatever, right? And hold it for seven seconds and then sell it or something, right? That That's not, a, I don't know if that's a great measure of demand, right? Spot price may not be that great of a measure of demand. Hash rate, I think, is significant, significantly indicative of demand because you know, you have to move physical real world items. Um, you have to set up significant infrastructure in order to mine Bitcoin and take serious capital risk with a very elongated return period, right? You're, now you're talking about participating in the production of Bitcoin for years, right? You know, thousands of days. Um, and so hash rate, I don't see it dipping very much because I don't see Bitcoin demand decreasing very, very much, even with price, right? When price goes down, Sure, it's less attractive to bring on new hash rate, but we haven't seen much of a, a letting up the last seven, eight months. And so, yeah, I count my lucky stars anytime difficulty goes downward, celebrate, you know, kiss your kids kind of a thing and hug your wife um, because it's probably going to be going upward for the majority of history. No, I definitely agree there. It kind of leads into my, my next question. What do you think about new gen mining rigs today like what do you think about their longevity like will rigs manufactured today remain relevant longer than like the very first asics did as far as their like efficiency competitiveness yes um 
I've been pleasantly surprised with new gen hardware. I was, you know, anybody that that knows me from the 2018, 2019, you know, bear market or knows what I was publishing out there in the world. Often I would talk about how I, I thought it was foolish to be the guinea pig, right? To go overpay for hardware that might not even, you know, live up to the, the advertised specifications. Um, what I what we found is, I think, a, a more mature hardware industry than certainly we had with like the S9, S15, S17s. I mean, I think the S15, S17 series was like, things were not looking good. I mean, S17 might be the worst ASIC to have been produced in my opinion. I'm um, certainly for, for, you know, volatile climates. Um, but what I've seen from what's mine or what I've seen from micro BT specifically the last two generations of a six, three generations of a six from the M 20, 21s, 30, 31s, and now the fifties, um, and their water cooled right? Their water cooled series is serious fabrication, serious production, right? Serious chip manufacturing, chip fabrication and, and ASIC production. Um, I would be very surprised if if these newer generation what's miners specifically didn't last at least you know five or six years without min seven years without minor repair you know fans being replaced maybe a PSU gets replaced um, but the boards ought to last a long time I mean people are still using s9s I mean we still out at upstream data we still have plenty of customers um, who on flare gas source you know sites they deployed s9s and they're, they're still working. There's no reason to replace them necessarily right now. Some of them are maybe looking to upgrade now that prices are more uh, attractive. Certainly dollar denominated, they're more attracted, attractive. But I think we could see these, I mean, I think these new generation ASICs, S19s, M30s, um, these, are the, these are the machines of the future, right? These are, this is it. Right. I don't think it's going to get much better than this. The form factor may change a little bit. I think water-cooled ASICs are superior to immersion. I think water-cooled makes a lot of sense in a, in, in a lot of situations um, and gives you a, a really high energy density capacity, right? The amount, of, the amount of hash rate and energy consumption or power consumption you can fit in a you know, cubic foot is, is quite dense and so quite intensive. So I think... We're not going to see much change, certainly not in the in the way of watt per terahash or joules per terahash, right? We're, where are we at? We're at sub 30, we could call it, right? S19s are 29 and a half, um, M30 plus pluses are 31, but in low mode, they drop down to about 28 and a half, 29. Um, and now these newer generation maybe are down to, I think some of them are advertising like 23, right? 24 for the X-Pro 146s or whatever they are. Um, and I think with some brains, and even maybe some underclocking or some tuning, you might be able to get down. I've seen some guys post screenshots of, you know, 23, 24 watt per terahash. Um, I don't know how much, I don't know if we'll get sub 20. With firmware, I think maybe they're, you know, you might be able to tinker your way there, maybe in an immersion system or something. Um, but sub 20 is, is tough, right? I, I, I mean, think about that. That's like, you could then come out with, you know, a, a, if your ASIC is going to consume 3,000 or 3,500 watts, right? I mean, you could you could be like, what, 165, 175 terahash at only that wattage? Like, that's whew, that's getting really nuts. I mean, we're already at 5 nanometer, and so I think it's really tough to print at sub-5 nanometer. Um, it, this is These are the machines of the future. So the good news on that is that 
there, there actually may be an argument for ASICs being underpriced, where today they're priced at about 10 to 15 months, their earnings, right? So, you know, S19 is going to be priced at about, I mean, today it's earning, you know, eight bucks a day. Um, and so, like, I think what we're going to see is the potential that maybe that, maybe that's a discount, right? Well, if this thing is truly going to last without much issue and be economically viable for five, six years, well, it being priced at only 14 months might be a discount, right? Um, so, you know, it's early. It's, this is, we're in the infant stage of certainly the hardware side of Bitcoin is still pretty infantile. And so, you know, there's a lot of growth to be had. What I don't think we'll, we'll see is, I don't think we'll see the hash rate growth of the past into the future, right? And on a, on a total network capacity, I don't think we're, we're, we're just not going to see those percentages from having to having ever again. I definitely agree there. I mean, I think it's, we've already seen the market misprice ASIC, especially with, with the S9 after the, the May 2020 halving. We literally saw just holding the, the machine itself outperform Bitcoin by like 2x from you know, May 2020 to mid 2020. Yeah, if you, if you could find a buyer. Yeah. Yeah, how much? I mean, what, what, what kind of liquidity do, do these S9s have when price dumps? Not, not great. Like right now, I mean, I have a hard time recommending to guys to, to pay more than $70 for an S9, right? And there's not very many people willing to sell them for less than that. So, For sure, for sure. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that efficiency of, of these machines just hasn't grown nearly to the same extent as it did, you know, before, like before the S9. Like you were saying, back then it was all about you know, in 2015, like buying the newest generation machine, whether that was like a GPU or, or one of the first generation ASICs and just plugging it in wherever you can. Now it's, it's more about finding that cheap energy. Yeah, no. And, and it really speaks toward the total network hash rate. I mean, this is my thesis for, this is the bullish case for Bitcoin mining. I think from an analytic point of view is right now we're at a place, let's call it 220 X a hash, right? Or even make it just simple we could just call it 200 um but 200 exahash that's that is a mass i mean nominally that is a massive amount of of hash power right um like just in terms of units it's that we're, we're approaching the commoditization stage and so what i know about bitcoin's price historically is that if you know if bitcoin's price does what it has done historically hash rate cannot do what it has done historically. Hash rate won't be able to keep up. Not certainly not in any relative time frame, right? Where Bitcoin's price, you know, you would agree with me over the next six months, we could see Bitcoin go from twenty thousand to eighty thousand, and that wouldn't be outside of the norm of, of Bitcoin's price slippage, right? That's a four X. Um, would we be able to go from two hundred X hash to eight hundred X hash? Absolutely not. Right? And and it's part of the reason that the having, you know, becomes kind of a critical aspect to this where, you know, now even a hundred percent growth rate, every having epoch seems tough, like 200 exahash. If you do the math on that, at even at 30, you know, 30 watt per terahash or even 25 watt per terahash, I mean, that's a 25 megawatts per exahash, right? 25 me megawatts per um, million terahash. You need 200 exahash. Like you're talking about what? Five gigawatts of power? Like, that's a that's immense, right? That is immense amounts of, of power infrastructure, 
Um, now, not to say that it won't happen. Certainly, if hash price is at 40 cents, somebody's going to be investing and building that power infrastructure and racing to get hash rate online. But that's the bull, you know, that's the bull case. On the in-between, until hash rate can catch up, I'm going to be sitting here mining and catching all of that you know, extra arbitrage. I'm going to be catching all of that kind of fat um, that's in the market and all that froth because I'm already established. And so I'm going to, you know, roll with the punches through these seven cent hard times. And I'm going to wait for Bitcoin's price to, to do what I, you know, think it'll do. And in those moments, you know, it'll, it'll absolutely make up for any of the hard times we, we had to, you know, muster through, I guess. So I, you know, I think there's a strong case for that, right? I mean, if, if again, if say price doubled tomorrow, how much, you know, more incentivized are you to throw an ASIC on? Like all of a sudden hash price is back to 17 cents, 18, even 18 cents. And it's like, you know, an S19 is making almost $20 a day, almost seven, you know, seven grand a year. Like this is all of a sudden becoming, you know, I should have been, I should have been, you know, deploying more hash rate while we were down here so that I could, I could take more advantage of, of this moment. And that's the name of the game, right? That's what's so cool about being the buyer, you know, a, 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 an electricity purchaser of last resort or a, or a Bitcoin buyer kind of of last resort is you oftentimes can find yourself in a sweet discount like we did all through 2021, right? Definitely agree that, you know, eventually the Bitcoin price is, is going to rally to, you know, another parabolic bull run. And I think the mining industry will, will grow rapidly whenever that happens because, you know, we're all incentivized to, to deploy more hash rate. And to do that, we're going to have to be consuming a lot of energy. Um, what do you what are your thoughts on on the idea that some people say Bitcoin mining wastes energy? Wastes energy. Um, that's an interesting, it's an interesting term, period, right? Um, What, what I think is, is this, the less painful it is to waste energy, just as, you know, as a whole, um, the more indicative it is of a, of a very robust and abundant energy market in the world, right? In other words, if, if we just had, say, say, for example, all of a sudden tomorrow we had, you know, 10 times the energy production capacity that we do today. Like, what would the world look like? What would the world look like if I could, if I could consume, if you will, consume or, or convert um, a megawatt of, of power before I have a cup of coffee in the morning, right? Like, and economically do it. Well, that would mean that I have like, like one, I'm living in a world where we have insane abundancy of, of energy and power. Um, that's that's what Bitcoin leads us toward. And it doesn't lead us there by incentivizing the waste of energy. It leads us there by penalizing waste, wasted energy, right? Before Bitcoin, for, for example, in the oil field, you, flaring gas was such commonplace. I mean, it's still pretty much commonplace today. It happens, you know, so frequently. But it was such commonplace and, and mentally, right, microeconomic behavior didn't, associate any pain to flaring or wasting that gas producers looked at it as hey we want to produce this crude oil almost you know 99 of the time that you produce crude oil you get some associated natural gas we burn that natural gas off because you know 
it's it's a cost of doing business. It's a cost of producing the oil. They they never there was not a direct penalty there. Now with Bitcoin mining, any oil and gas producer out there who's just flaring energy dense, you know, CH four methane, well, they could be earning you know with new gen ASICs eight to eleven, eight to twelve dollars an MCF today. You know, eight to twelve dollars per thousand cubic feet. So there's literally a stark dollar, you know, amount, a nominal amount. Uh, of pain associated with that activity. Bitcoin penalizes energy waste. Um, and through doing so, it will lower the time preference of energy producers, which will cause them to be more stewardly of the environment, um, cause them to be more efficient, better prepared, um, and, and ultimately be more economically efficient, right? They're, they will be, be able to better allocate their resources which will bleed downstream to everybody, right? Again, it'll bleed down to every consumer. So Bitcoin doesn't waste energy. I mean, energy is never really wasted. It's never really consumed, right? It's only converted. Um, Bitcoin is going to be, or is the thing that is going to, to really revolutionize how we approach energy production. Um, because if you're wasting energy now, you're a dinosaur, right? You're an idiot. You're an, I mean, from a, from an investment point of view, you're, you're, toast, right? You're never going to be able to compete. And so the bar has been raised, right? It increased the standard of energy production and power generation. There's no waste that Bitcoin caused. <laughs> Bitcoin, Bitcoin didn't cause any of this waste. Yeah. And I fully agree. I think energy is how, you know, civilization scales. That's how we have the great products and services and technologies that we do today. And if we're going to build a world where we have better technology and better goods, better services. We need more energy. So energy is not a bad thing. And, and, and Bitcoin mining is somewhat like incentivizing the reduction of energy waste. But in a way, it's also incentivizing the production of, of more energy to help you know everybody. Right. I mean, this is a harsh world, right? Like anybody who's tried to live in the environments, you know, anybody who's been a, who's who's experienced prolonged exposure, right, to, to the elements. Um, I, I personally, right, I've. I've done some expeditions in South America through Patagonia, you know, I've traveled glacier and things. And I mean, this, this environment, I mean, people kind of have this, this notion, there's kind of this idea that like the earth without humanity on it, like if you just like removed all the people and the earth just sitting there and, and if we didn't impact it at all, like that, it's like this utopian, you know, garden of Eden kind of place. And it's just not right. Like we have to bear this, this, you know, planet that we live on, we have to bear the context of it and electricity specifically, but energy and electricity, energy and power are really what allow us to even live, you know, to be 70 years old, right? Um, to even have things like, like hospitals um, in abundance, right? Where there's hundreds of hospitals per state in, in North America, right? Um, this is, this is the fundamental uh, I guess the fundamental fuel to comfortable living and to quality of life is is energy and electricity. And so it's easy when you're living in an abundance, you know, in the United States specifically, we, I mean, we are well off, right? We are well endowed with, with natural resources and we have you know, incredible infrastructure here. For the majority of the world, reliable power, reliable energy is a matter of life and death, right? Here in the, in the United States, you know, we can 
we can talk about we can use intermittent and unreliable sources of energy and get away with it right because we can we can back up our wind and our solar with abundant natural gas and things but in other places reliable power of reliable energy might seriously be you know the difference between life and death and so this is a matter of of bringing humanity into the first world is bringing humanity into a into a context into a a living situation where electricity and energy is abundant enough that it's economic for everyone to use at will right and and that's that's the world you know i i want right that's the future i want um, the world i want for for my kids one day is is one where you know you can go and do research and development and waste gigawatts of electricity just trying to you know make a process better or trying to invent something new and if you fail it's it's not like a massive detrimental cost it's you know it's relatively it's so economic that we can desalinate ocean water right um heck i mean what if we have so much abundant electricity we can just you know deal we can actually um tweak the atmospheric composition of the planet to however we want it right and control weather right i think that comes in a world where we have a nuclear reactor on every corner kind of a thing right um and so i, I just i envision a different future i think than than and, and have different assumptions than those who would maybe criticize such a such a thing. Yeah, and in a way, I, I feel like your vision of the future is, is more of like a, a bullish future. Like you're more of like a, a definite optimist rather than maybe like a definite pessimist where you're like, hey, everybody stop consuming as much energy as you can. Like, let's conserve this. Let's let's just not destroy the planet. And you're like, hey, let's consume a lot of energy. Let's produce a lot of energy and let's make the world a better place. Exactly, right? Like, I, I, I hope that every person even can, can have sovereign energy production, right? I think solar's a pretty awesome tool for that. Um, there's definitely some trade, you know, some, some downsides in the terms of like if your solar panels break or have issues, it's not really something you can repair yourself. And I'm not even sure you can get it done on this continent. But like sovereign power generation is something I think is, is really great, right? I think it, it empowers, empowering individuals makes the world a better place, right? It gives, if I'm, if I'm able to produce abundance amounts of, of power for myself, again, what kind of, you know, what kind of things and what kind of projects can I allocate that resource to that ends up having just immeasurable amounts of positive externalities um, for the world? And so, you know, we wouldn't have things like, like heart transplants <laughs> without, a, without living in a world where energy is incredibly dense, where you can like, you know, get a heart from a cadaver on a jet plane to a person who's in the middle of surgery in X amount of time. You know, like there is an insane amount of energy um, intensity to that process. But I love the fact that they're, you know, one one day, I hope to God I never need one. But if I do, like it, it's an option, right? It's we, we actually have the potential. And so the way I look at the world is is, you know, pretty in line with kind of the Kardashev scale. Right, this idea that the more not just humanity can produce, but the more energy we can consume, the higher quality of living we'll have. Right, human humanity will flourish. And one thing that's that Bitcoin, you know, the best argument I have for Bitcoin being a, a tool to help humanity flourish is before Bitcoin mining, before the Bitcoin network, energy demand on the planet on planet Earth was strictly limited to 
human beings and what they demanded, right? What they consumed, right? There was kind of the, the total demand of planet Earth in terms of electricity and, and energy. And then the Bitcoin network got created and it's kind of, it's this autonomous demand, right? Everyone, everyone that's a Bitcoin holder demands this, you know, this, this thing to continue, but it's, but we're not paying for the electricity, right? We're not buying the power from the miners, right? Or we're not buying the computational hash necessarily from them. We're just using the network. And so now with Bitcoin, we have planet earth and we have the Bitcoin network. And so anytime you, you have electricity or energy that you can't sell to anybody on planet earth, you just shoot it over this thing called the Bitcoin network. And so the, the total demand of, you know, what we have in existence of, of electricity went up the, the moment that Bitcoin was created. It went up only a little bit. And with Bitcoin's price, it will catalyze all energy production where I, I don't think Bitcoin will be a very high percentage of total global energy production, but I think it will be incredibly abundant. Um, it, it'll be a part of every single, you know, energy production, power generation process will have some Bitcoin aspect to it in order to account for their loss, right? And, and be more efficient, send some power to this market because we can't get all of it over here. And so from, from the basis, you know, just from the foundation, Bitcoin is something that will encourage humanity to increase energy consumption. Um, if energy consumption is a bad thing, then Bitcoin is Satan, right? If energy consumption is a good thing, Bitcoin is, is the carrot to bring humanity into you know, a higher quality of living and, and kind of the next societal stage, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly agree that the Bitcoin mining industry and the energy production industry are basically merging and we're in the like first inning of that, like early first inning. That's a good way to look at it. They're kind of merging because every energy producer is now going to be incentivized to generate power on site with any excess energy they, they can't, you know, distribute otherwise. That's That's a good way of putting it yeah uh speaking of like long-term like like bullish ideas do you believe in the idea of hyper bitcoinization and like how do you envision the world then if you do i mean i don't, I don't really know what hyper bitcoinization means specifically right like i mean i think i think a world where bitcoin is seen as kind of the global savings account the risk-free rate of of return is either holding Bitcoin, um, the risk-free rate of kind of investment is maybe investing in mining Bitcoin, producing Bitcoin, um, or in other words, producing power, energy, or electricity, right? I think, do I subscribe, like, will, will that be the case? I, I think inevitably, with enough enlightenment, the world will wake up to the fact that Bitcoin is the best commodity for measuring value and exchanging for that value, right? And so exchanging that value. I think, because that's what, what is money, right? Money is a commodity, period. It's right, right? It's the commodity best suited to represent a unit of account. Um, you know, it, it should, again, what, what is it supposed to be about? Identifiable, verifiable, fungible, um, transferable, all those, those kind of characteristics. Bitcoin beats them all. Um, and so I hope with enough enlightenment, which ideally comes with time, the world will wake up to that. What does that world look like? Um, that's an interesting one, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a crazy world. That's a world where, where reckless borrowing is finally no longer incentivized because of this, you know, money printer situation where, I mean, think about, think about how good of an idea you must have 
to borrow denominated in Bitcoin, right? For example, you know, if I, if I came to you, Joe, and I was like, hey, I want to, you know, I want to borrow 10 Bitcoin from you and I'll pay you back 10 Bitcoin in five years, right? Well, that's a scary, th I better have a damn good idea for what I'm going to do with that. I better have a hell of a plan for a return. Um, and if I don't, if I'm just going to go open a bunch of smoothie shops or whatever, like, I'm going to get wrecked. And by the way, you're not going to want to loan that 10 Bitcoin out to me because you don't have any like overheaded protection. The government can't just, you know, create Bitcoin to cover you if, if things go wrong. So you're going to be very, very strict and diligent about where you place your Bitcoin because, you know, you could just hold the Bitcoin and that returns just fine. Um, it also, you know, a Bitcoin world, a, a Bitcoin standard implies a deflationary standard where the funnest, the funniest kind of example I can think of, or at least what, what would be the most hilarious world, right? Is if like you fast forwarded a hundred years or something, or right? you went into the future and you came down to earth and you saw the, you know, the, the guy in his suit and tie or whatever. And he, and he comes out of the office, comes out of the meeting with the boss and he like high fives his friend. And he's like, yeah, man, I only got a 2% pay deduction this year. Woo. Like, you know, like, like you celebrate the lack of a pay deduction rather than you won't get a raise, but we're not, we're not going to, you know, dock you nearly as much as Bitcoin has appreciated. So you're effectively getting paid more. Um, that I think is a, I mean, that's, that's literally laughable. Like that, that concept is laughable in this moment. It really shouldn't be laughable that that should be indicative of like, wow, you've like, whatever it is that you are using to transact and store your value can't just be created at you know for no cost out of thin air um and so i think that's a better world i think it's a more honest world uh, i think it's a world where again violence would be more disincentivized it's much more difficult to take somebody's bitcoin uh that being said you know killing off an entire you know somebody that's holding five million bitcoin and not having that bitcoin get lost benefits everybody so the scarcity just goes up so like um, there might still be like a, from a state level, there might still be some, uh, you know, zero sum gain, if you will, uh, to, to, to be violent, but the state always figures out a way to be violent. So they always figure out a reason to be violent. Um, I don't know. I think I, in my lifetime, probably not. If I'm going to be realistic, I hope to live long enough that I see some type of world like that. But what I can say about fiat money is it seems fiat money is on the ropes right now it seems the petrodollar is on the ropes uh because those who have been those who have been at a disadvantage right russia any any sanctioned nation out there russia iran venezuela um certainly any any sanctioned nation that has abundant energy resources they're they now kind of have the tools to fight back right where you see russia demanding that you know, any of their, any of their oil and gas assets, they're not going to, they're not going to trade them for dollars or euros. Like they're going to either demand their own currency or they're going to demand gold, right? Or they're going to demand other hard assets. And I mean, Putin gave a speech the other day about how the, the epoch or the, you know, the days of, of soft money, um, are soon to be replaced by the days of hard assets. And, you know, I'm not a Putin fan by any means. The guy's the guy's a murderer and a, like a megalomaniac to the nth degree, but I don't think he's wrong in that regard because those who are, you know, at a disadvantage have a, have 
a huge incentive to destabilize the the petrodollar um and now they have the tools to do it and so you know i think fiat has to find its its last stages right we need to see fiat forfeit in other words right either the us dollar needs to like they need to go okay fine like we're restarting the whole system it's going to be backed by you know gold and silver and petroleum again or something like that right but backed by some reserves um which would crush confidence and everybody would wake up really quickly and start thinking about money um that needs to happen before any kind of real bitcoin uh, you know value proposition of bitcoin can be i think deep deeply enough understood that people are willing to switch hundreds of years of of thought you know i mean it's just too early again we're in the first million blocks this is like you know the majority of bitcoin mining will be very very boring very low risk very low reward it's not sexy um for the majority of its history but right now this is the part of you know the bitcoin certainly mining and and how it interacts with energy this is kind of the sexy part right the first million 2 million blocks are when the disruption happens definitely agree it's it's extremely early i mean working in the space now you kind of get it get into it you go to conferences you meet people and you're like wow this is it it's not it's really not that big and there's like no it's tiny so, there's so so few people that well really nobody fully understands bitcoin or bitcoin mining but there's so so few people that even have like grasp it grasp the tip of of what this is oh yeah no i mean did you see so there was that that post the other day that went viral from some big account um where he said that the having was now going to take place in 2023 right where well it made, it made me go down this rabbit hole a little bit which this is this is astonishing right this this is really proof that that Satoshi Nakamoto's uh difficulty adjustment design was was well designed and successful because in the history of bitcoin right we've had about 13 years or so um in other, in other words, we just had the 5,000th day. We just passed the 5,000th day. And at 5,000 days, based upon the 10-minute block time, right, we should be at about the 720,000th block. But in actuality, we're at about the 750,000th block, right? So we're about 30,000 blocks ahead of schedule, which is about six months, right? So we're about six months ahead of schedule. But what does that mean in terms of Bitcoin supply? Because that's really the whole reason we have this difficulty, right? Is to the difficulty adjustment and mining. It's all about having the ability to to predict the supply, the future supply with precision, but also allowing for open competition, right? And open production of the asset. Well, if it can be openly produced, how can we predict the future supply? We don't know how many people in the future are going to come produce it. Well, that's where the difficulty adjustment magic comes in. And if you look at the numbers, the numbers are this. If Satoshi Nakamoto was to guess, hey, how many Bitcoin are in circulation on day 5,000, right? How many Bitcoin will be in circulation? If he were to guess based upon the 10-minute, you know, block span, he'd only be off by like 180,000 Bitcoin, okay? So less than 1% of the total supply that's, that's currently in circulation. You'd be less than 1% off 13 years ago. I mean, that's... That's precise enough, in my opinion, right? For for someone to confidently say, I know that in 5,000 days, like he could have guessed, okay, there might be, you know, 18.9 million to 19.3 million, but I know for a fact there won't be more than 20 million or more for a fact there won't be more than 19.5. So I know that I won't, you know, my, my 10 coins that I hold won't be debased more than this 
before this time period. And so what we're, what we're finding is one, like it's, it took 13 years to, to move the needle just like six months. Um, it, it would be an insane amount of, of hash rate would have to continuously come on in order for it to, us to have the having in 2023. So that's not going to happen. Don't worry. Um, but what it also means is that going forward, that precision increases because the nominal amount of Bitcoin that's left to be mined decre is decreasing and the nominal hash rate is greater. So the amount of hash rate volatility ought to decrease as well. And so every block Bitcoin becomes, you know, Bitcoin's future supply becomes more precisely predictable. Um, and therefore you can be more confident in the interest rate that you're going to get. And so I mean, what a magical system, right? I mean, like how do you, how do you create a commodity that you can pre predict with precision its future supply, but it also, you know, but you, you have no idea how many people are going to potentially be producing it. It's freaking magic. It's the absolute best commodity to become money, right? It's, there's, there's no question. Yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think in a way, like money is kind of this paradox where it's like it needs to be scarce, but well distributed. And it's like, okay, well, how do you make something scarce, but then distribute it out to the entire world? And that's what kind of what you were just talking about. It's well, yeah. How do you how do you even achieve fair distribution? Like what if, if right now, I mean, try to like try to think of a world where you don't know Bitcoin. And because I've, I've, I've done this thought exercise before and I fail every time, right? How, how would I have gone about creating something that would be fairly distributed, right? Most people would think equal distribution is fair distribution. What they would think is like, okay, we'll just give everyone on earth a thousand coins. And if you were born after this date, well, sorry. Um, like, you know what I mean? It's like, like that's where people would start to go. That, that is not at all what Bitcoin is, but. It is the perfect, it is the most fair, uh, fairly produced commodity to ever exist because as the lowest barrier of entry, you just, you need electricity and you, you need some, what I would classify as, you know, relatively abundant hardware, right? You need computer chips. Um, and so this is like, you know, this is kind of really mind blowing stuff, but it, it comes down to the fact that whoever Satoshi Nakamoto was or whatever group or whoever, they they did they were truly behaving altruistically i think in their design because they came up with fair distribution right they didn't game the they didn't game it for for anybody um but they did reward those who they did reward those who participated with time you know time was a, a part of the reward right the earlier you participate more nominal bitcoin but the dollar value of that changes the game a bunch right where it's like it might be more it was more lucrative to be mining bitcoin you know, oftentimes, like even last year, than it was a lot of the time during 2013 and 14 and stuff, right? So, it's a, it's a wild, wild system. I mean, what a time to be alive! What a, what a project to have discovered, right? Yeah, in a way, I think it's it's kind of safe to say that it's it's fair enough to play the game, and and the game is to buy and hold Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fair enough to say that this commodity, nobody has. A, an unfair advantage um, to produce this commodity. Th those who have an advantage at producing Bitcoin, they earned that advantage, right? It's either they acquired, you know, economic energy resources or, or made, you know, smart power contract, whatever. But regardless, it's not an unfair advantage. It's not just like, oh, because you, your last name is this, mining Bitcoin's easier, 
um, or because you're this tall or this color or whatever, right? Um, I, I've got no advantage over, I mean, there was a video on Twitter the other day, I don't know if you saw it, it was awesome. Some dude out in, in Guatemala that's mining Bitcoin on vegetable oil, right? He's got like a little, like a little, like I think it's truly like a repurposed, you know, car engine that he's running vegetable oil on, generating a little bit of power. Got like a few ASICs there. I've got no advantage. To the, in fact, his his econo his power on the margin might, is probably cheaper than mine. Um, I've got no advantage to him, even though I might have access to you know way more resources and way more this, way more that. I can't produce power any more efficiently than he can. Um, that's a thermodynamic law situation, and so it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing. Bitcoin is right if you're coming from the point of view if if you're on the side of the coin that you know unfair money production hasn't been benefiting you your entire life then bitcoin's a beautiful thing um if you're part of that group bitcoin's probably pretty horrifying yeah i saw that video that was pretty funny and, and makes a lot of sense i mean he's economic economically incentivized to do that um, yeah how do you envision like the future of bitcoin mining playing out right right now we have these some large mining facilities like riots winestone facility and then we have the exact opposite of that which is kind of like the flare gas type thing that you guys are doing or the the vegetable oil mining that the guy in guatemala is doing do you envision you know large large data centers to keep getting built out or do you envision more of like continue to just capture wasted only energy um i think i think it kind of edges the middle a little bit right the there's a sweet spot in there right i mean a lot of our customers are from a mining point of view are pretty darn big even a power generation point of view right they might be multiple megawatt um even though they're behind the meter on natural gas but they're you know my boss steve barber has talked about this this these forces at play um where there's this force that incentivizes a miner to to scale up right uh, because you get some economies of scale right there's some there's an economic force there but there's these other forces that push down and and the forces that are pushing down are things like privacy um things like having to get in bed with the with the state right regulatory threats um and ultimately you know at a certain scale it's impossible to be very flexible as a miner right like you know some of some of our producers operators like they might have a few bitcoin mines that if they lost power there i mean they'd be able to pretty quickly you know move these things get them to other resources um i i think i think everything always will move upstream um but i also think there's a caveat and i think there's a there's a massive retail mining kind of small scale what i would, what i would call gorilla mining right uh gorilla miner opportunity in the future that may not be as as obvious today um, or as as apparent of a of a market today because i think some strict regulations could could come around purchasing bitcoin and withdrawing bitcoin to a you know a quote-unquote unhosted wallet <laughs> whatever the hell that means um it's not even a real thing but so because of that right I often look at Bitcoin mining as a way to buy Bitcoin, an immutable means to purchase Bitcoin and store my, you know, the fruits of my labor in an asset that can't be debased. Um, it's mining Bitcoin is an amazing way to do that because you just have to pay your power bill, right? I mean, so it's it's much different than sending money to an exchange. You know, you don't need to give them the same kind of information, that kind of stuff, and it's pretty private. And so. And it's immutable. Like nobody can really stop you, other than the you know the power company could try to turn off your power. But 
it's very tough for them to, to tell what you're doing with your electricity and stuff. And so in that regard, I think it may make sense for a lot of smaller businesses and things to have, you know, a small mining operation because the way they look at it is, Hey, we just, this is our, our means by which to at least purchase a thousand dollars of Bitcoin per month. Um, even if it's, even if it's even, you know, at break even, even if it's like, you know, we're spending a thousand dollars on electricity and we're mining a thousand dollars of Bitcoin, like it's an immutable access to this asset that maybe they want. I'm not sure if many people are thinking about that now, but I think that will be a, a, a topic of concern in the future. But I, I truly think these mega miners are, are in for some hurt. Um, they're in for some regulatory hurt and there's going to be some lobbying expenses that are going to be insane for them, right? They're to try to sway votes one way or the other, because it's going to be a, you know, if, if this bill passes, then we're in deep trouble. We're somebody who maybe only has 500,000, you know, 500 kilowatts of power operating on their, their farm in Kentucky. Like they're not going to get regulated. They're, they're probably not even going to get discovered or known. Um, and so, you know, I think the, the force from the regulatory side that the force pushing miners to be a little bit smaller scale, a little bit more flexible. I think that's going to outweigh the, you know, the upward force and we'll see less mega miners, uh, but more miners overall, which I think is a good thing, right? I mean, obviously I think it's a decentralization of the hash rate. Um, ultimately we need a, a true commoditization of the hardware. We need really another, I'd say another at least five years of abundant hardware uh, production and distribution because then there's enough hardware just like even in circulation that if like bitmain and micro bt if they just stopped producing chips or whatever for whatever reason um there'd be enough hardware like even in circulation to last long enough that another player would get involved and start producing an asic or whatever right so from a defensibility point of view i think we're, we're at the level of hardware card commoditization big miners I think they've got they've got more pain than they do like, you know, nice financing and and economies of scale on the horizon. We'll see how they navigate it, right? I think they've got a hell of a a job ahead of them, um, especially because, you know, you get if you get a million people in the United States running a single S nineteen right now, difficulty goes up fifty percent, right? Like fifty percent, like that's huge. The big miners don't want that, right? So. I'm afraid that they're going to try to, you know, create regulatory moats maybe um, to try to, you know, say, say that you got to get permitted or licensed in order to mine Bitcoin, try to kick out all the home miners, make them criminals or whatever. Um, we'll see how it goes. But I think I think those those guerrilla miners are in a better position for the next, you know, five, five years than some of the, the massive guys are. Yeah. Switching topics a little bit. And it's probably one of one of the last questions. And you may not like it, but uh, what do you think about the <laughs> Ethereum merge coming up? Or the the ETH merge. Yes. Once we uh, post this, it'll probably have already gone through. But uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on it? Um, I don't. I don't have much of much of an opinion. I think. I think everybody who's interested in the ETH merge should should take a should take a look at that uh, the roadmap document that explains all of those steps of the ETH merge and, and take like a detailed look at it, actually read the words. Um, I think it's absolutely hilarious that they named the stages of the roadmap, the, the merge, the surge, the verge, the purge and the splurge or something like that. 
Um, it's truly fun. Like this document, in my opinion, is is funnier and stranger than satire. Uh, I I couldn't have made a more elaborate and hilarious roadmap for a prod, uh, you know, a, a network project if I if I tried. Um, that being said, this is pretty expected in the sense that you know Ethereum Ethereum is really not defensible against the state, right? In my opinion, the state could shut Ethereum down tomorrow, um, mainly by just telling Amazon Web Services to not host any of the nodes. Um, that would crush the majority of the network. And it's not very defensible. So Ethereum has to placate to this, this whole idea that consuming energy is a bad thing um, and that the, you know, the human species is going to die unless we abolish fossil fuels and, and unless we all start living like we're back in the 17th century and stop consuming electricity. Um, like they have to subscribe to that because that's currently kind of the the global narrative from the state. And so they can't challenge the state. Bitcoin, the government could make it illegal tomorrow and but they can't shut it down, right? They could they could subpoena Amazon. People aren't running nodes on Amazon. I'm running nodes on my own dedicated hardware, right? And so um, it's it'd be very, very tough for the state to shut down Bitcoin. Ethereum's not the case. So I, I see why they have to placate. Um, the merge is just a way to create a, you know, the old model of central banking, Keynesian central banking, where the few control the ledger. Uh, they're just doing that on the blockchain, right? They just slapped a blockchain on a, on a central banking uh, structure and, you know, celebrated it. Um, so I'm not, I'm not truly interested in it, but I think it's fun to kind of watch how one they market it right i mean the, the problem i see is once there's no more merge to talk about all they're going to be left all that's left to talk about is how bad bitcoin is for the environment and i feel like they're just going to really lean into that and so you know it's, it's something i've seen coming for a long time so i've been trying to get ahead of it for years now right trying to really get out there and show people how how bitcoin is is probably the greatest thing um, to happen to energy production. And so I guess we'll see, right? I'm not trading it. I don't have any advice on how to profit off the merge. Um, what I will say to those who staked their coins is good luck. You know, I, there's not even, there's not even a specified date as to when you'll be able to withdraw your, your coins from, from your staking position. So good luck, um, I guess. And, you know, I, I think, uh, Hopefully people don't get wrecked, you know? Yeah, it's the best thing you could say, I guess. Hopefully you don't get wrecked. But yeah, I just, I mean, people people getting wrecked is no fun. Um, this is the time, too, where people are, are, are feeling pain. A lot of guys who are trading, you know, ETH and whatever else are, you know, in serious trouble right now um, because, you know, they were maybe trading it for family members or whatever else. Like, I've heard some horror stories out there, and so... You know, real world pain's no good, and I don't, I don't wish that on anybody. But you know, I guess to each their own. I, I, I think anybody should be able to purchase whatever money they want. So if, if you wanna, if you wanna buy ETH, you know, I think you ought to be able to. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. though. I think this is a great conversation. Where do you want to send people after this? Do you have, you know, I know you got a Twitter. What's your Twitter? What about upstream data? Anything else you want to say? 
yeah, I'd say definitely check out Upstream Data. Um, we're at upstreamdata.ca, um, and definitely give a look there. Um, check out Steve Barber on Twitter. He's SG Barber, and check myself out. I'm Denver Bitcoin. Um, a lot of great resources. You know, feel free to to reach out to me if if you've got questions and stuff. I can at least you know if I see them, I'll help you out, point you in the right direction, get on the phone with you, whatever. But certainly, if you know you're looking at deploying ASICs um, in any kind of a remote or uh, modular capacity, right, where you don't have rack space, I think, you know, it's safe to say that having portable rack space makes the most sense. So give us a call at Upstream Data and we can we can help you out. We've got really great prices. So other than that, you know, check out check out Bitcoin, check out hope.com. Um, you know, the Bitcoin is a is a carrot to learn about pretty much all other topics that are relevant to <laughs> human life. And so I think Bitcoin's a great carrot to go down the energy rabbit hole, but also just to learn what money is. Don't stop. Don't stop uh, asking questions. I guess would be the, the the best piece of advice I can give to anybody that's that's watching this. Absolutely. Well, enjoyed it. Thanks for coming on. We'll do it again sometime soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it.